Amen. What a wonderful message and song. And take out your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to the book of Luke. The book of Luke. Luke chapter 16 in your Bibles this morning. Luke chapter 16. I'm going to join you there in just a moment. Luke chapter 16. Well, it's an exciting time in the life of our church. We're excited about all that God is doing. And this morning, I'm excited as we're beginning a new series together as a church family. Our thought for the next number of weeks together as a church family is this, entrusted. Can you say that with me? Entrusted. Entrusted. We're going to take a number of weeks going through a series on biblical stewardship as a church. Now, it'll be a five-week study, and uh, I'm already hearing groaning. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you are saying, hey, pastor, I'll see you at, th- I'll see you at Thanksgiving. I'll, uh... Now, hold on a second. You know, oftentimes when we think about stewardship, sadly in our society today, um, stewardship is a word that has gotten largely reduced to simply being a synonym for the word what? Money. Money. When people hear the word steward or stewardship, oftentimes people just think about money. They think about their personal finances. However, when you go to the Bible and you consider what the Bible is unpacking for each one of us, considering our stewardship, it's interesting to find out that the Bible has so much more to say than simply just about finances or just about money. In fact, I keep a record of all of the sermons of what I preach and where I preach it. And I went back because I was just kind of curious in my own study, how long had it been since we as a church had looked at this topic and in a long series? And I found out it had been over six years ago uh, that we went through a series or a study on stewardship. And so if you're visiting with us for the first time this morning, can I just tell you that this is not normal uh, for us to have a message on giving. You said, man, this is the first Sunday I've been to church in forever, and the pastor is preaching about giving, all right? Uh, not, not really, yes, but, uh, but not really. And also, let me just tell you this, lest you think that I'm preaching this message because our church needs money, uh, that is not the case at all. Uh, In actual fact, I'm so thankful to share with you that this has been one of the strongest giving years in the history of our congregation. So you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, then why are we considering a study on stewardship? I'll tell you why. Because when you open up the pages of the Bible and you look and you read what Jesus had given us, you discover that so much of Jesus' teaching was actually centered around money. They have gone, people have gone and, and, and looked at all of the different verses of things that Jesus uh, preached and in the Gospels uh, as we have recorded for us. And what you find out is that Jesus spoke on money about a third of all of his preaching. All right? You say, man, that's a lot. Do you know why Jesus preached on money so often in his teaching? That is because he understands that for you and I, living in this world with resources and wealth and just the way that this world system is, that money has a large part of our lives and how we will uh, steward and, and use and invest all the resources that God has given us. And so this morning, we're turning to Luke chapter 16, where once again, we see a passage this morning of Jesus dealing with money. But let me tell you, stewardship is far more than just your own personal finances. 
And if you miss anything I say this morning, I hope you don't miss this. And that is this, that when you consider your own life of everything that has been given to you by God, your, your time, your resources, your talent, your vocation, even your own life, all of those things as a follower of Christ are to be lived in this relationship to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, the issue of stewardship is really an issue of the lordship of Jesus in that who is our master and how are we living our life in relation to him? You see, it's not just one thing to simply say that we are a Christian, but our life in the way that we give of our time, our resources, our talents, the way that we steward all investments of our family and work relationships, all of those things should have at their center, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, this issue of stewardship. And so we're going to jump in to this series over the next number of weeks. If you're ready to jump in with me this morning, will you say jump? All right, let's go. Stand to your feet. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Notice the parable that Jesus is telling his disciples. The Bible says in verse 1 that Jesus is saying these words to his disciples. But we also find out, if you look in verse 14, that there were some other people who were also listening on this day. And that was the Pharisees and maybe some other people. But notice, the Bible says in verse 1 that Jesus is saying these things to who? Who is he saying these things to? Say it louder. His disciples, all right? And so I wonder this morning, are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus? How many of you would raise your hand and say, I am a public follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, then these are Jesus' words to you, as much as they are to these disciples that he was saying this to on that day. Follow with me in verse 1. He tells them this parable. He says, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I, I, I have decided what to do. So that when I am removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. So summoning the master debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe the master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said, well, then take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill, write 80. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his, what's the next word? Shrewdness. For the sons of this world, Jesus says, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, you may receive, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. And the one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And Jesus summarizes all this parable in verse 13. He says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love 
or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray, Lord, as we consider this passage, which in many ways is a very challenging passage, that, Lord, your spirit would help us and that your spirit would be our teacher. That, Lord, that we would hear this parable that you have spoken to us that tells us about the kingdom of God. And that, Lord, we would think about what this means for each one of us as your disciples. So, Father, we thank you this morning for how you are working. We pray that your spirit would help us as we consider this truth in our lives today. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. You can be seated. Now, someone has considered, many Bible scholars, as they've gone to this passage, they have said this. Not I'm saying this, but they are saying that this is one of the most difficult parables that Jesus taught. Because what really bothers some people is that as they were reading it, maybe it bothered you. Um, you, you see, as Jesus is, is describing this parable, what really gets some people all twisted up is that Jesus is commending the bad guy. <laughs> like, Jesus is using the bad guy in the parable to become an illustration of what his disciples are to be. But notice with me, if you're just having that cursory level reading, that might be what you think. That Jesus is somehow commending the guy for his dishonesty. But that is not at all what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is not commending him for his dishonesty. Jesus is commending him for his what? Did someone pick it up? His shrewdness. His shrewdness. Now, notice with me, beginning in verse 1. Let's just kind of unpack what's happening here. The Bible says that Jesus said to his disciples, he's saying to his followers, and he gives them this parable. Notice how the parable begins. There was a rich man who had... A manager. Now that word in the Bible that is manager is, 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 is the word for steward. And, and, and this is kind of a foreign concept to a lot of us, especially those of us that have lived in America all of our life, because this idea of a steward or a manager is, is a little foreign in how the Bible was describing it. You see, in Bible times, if you were born into a lower class of society, which for most people back then was nearly everybody, all right? To, to, to actually have the opportunity and the privilege to become a steward or a manager was one of the greatest things that could ever happen to you. It was like the most amazing opportunity that you would be given to steward or manage someone else's estate. Because the amazing thing in all of it is that you didn't actually own anything. Like, you were as poor as can be. But you were put into this position of being a steward, this estate manager, and you lived as if you owned it all, but you really didn't. And the thing was that this, this manager, this steward, would have been kind of a, a trust manager of the entire estate. They would have the responsibility of managing the land, the assets, the debt, the property, the servants, everything. They would have the responsibility of doing that. And so notice the Bible says in verse 1 that the owner, how, how is the owner described in verse 1? He's what? He's rich, and he, he's very rich. I mean, we reread the story, and we consider all of the stuff that he had management over. This was a very, very wealthy landowner. And the one qualification to be a steward or a manager was that you were loyal 
and faithful. But the problem is we start reading the parable that Jesus tells for us and instantly we know that in this story that is not the case. Because the Bible tells us in verse 1, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him, the owner, that this man, say the next three words, were what? Wasting his... Turn to your neighbor and tell him he was wasting his possessions. He was wasting it. You say, how was he wasting it? Well, we're not really told. But Jesus is using this parable to tell us a deep spiritual truth. There is something in this parable that, as you remember, the parables were an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And there was something in this parable that Jesus was telling his disciples and he was revealing to them about the kingdom of God, but it was veiled to others. The the, the Pharisees who had not believed in Jesus, to them, the meaning of all of this was veiled to them. That's why in verse 14 it says they ridiculed Jesus when he told them the story. But the disciples were, Jesus wanted them to learn something. God wants us to learn something this morning. And he wants us to learn three things. He wants us to learn something about our attitude toward God. He wants us, secondly, to learn something about our attitude to money. And then God wants us to learn about our attitude as a steward. So if you're taking notes with me this morning, begin there first with our attitude toward God. What is the proper attitude of every one of us toward God? It's, what, it's actually in other places of the Bible taught for us that God is the creator and provider of all things. Say with me, all things. All things. Everything in life has been provided and created for us by God. Someone has put it this way, that before stewardship becomes an activity, it must first and foremost be an identity. You see, being a steward is far more about who you are and whose it is that you're belonging to. You see, the Bible teaches very clearly that there is someone who you owe everything you own to, even your own life. It's not your own. The Bible says in Isaiah 66, Thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Man, I was hiking up at McAfee's this past week. I went out to the knob for the first time. I lived here nine years. I'd never been to the knob. And I get out. How many of you have been up to McAfee's knob? And you're looking out on this valley. And I think about that that passage in Isaiah where God says, the earth is my footstool. And heaven's my throne. And I'm telling you, it just instantly dwarfs your life in a moment. To think about the vastness of this world. And all that God has created. And what the Bible clearly teaches and it affirms throughout the pages of Scripture is that the Bible says in in, in Isaiah 66, all these things my hand has made so that all these things came to be, declares the Lord. God is the creator. And because God is creator, he is the owner of your life in all things. And we discover in Genesis, when we go to the very beginning of the Bible and the beginning of how this world came to be, we discover in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, that God said, let us make man in our in own image after our likeness. And notice the next few four words. Say those next four words with me. And let them have 
dominion. You see, God created this world. Everything that you see has been given to us by God. He is the provider of all of it. But notice what he is doing in the very first chapter of the Bible. He is entrusting to his creation this responsibility that they would have dominion over all of these things that we read there. Stewardship is not something God is taking from you. If that has been your perception of what stewardship is all about, is that God is out to get money from you, then you have a very twisted view of God. Stewardship is not what God is asking or demanding from you. Stewardship is actually something that God is giving you as his creation and every one of us. Saved and unsaved alike are all stewarding the investment that God has given us. The question is really how will we invest it? How will we steward it? And so notice, what is the attitude that we need to learn about God? The attitude toward God is this understanding that he is the creator, he is the provider of all things in my life, and that he is entrusted to us as stewards, his resources to manage. He's the owner, and I'm the manager. Would you say that with me this morning? God's the owner, I'm the manager. Say it again. God's the owner, I'm the manager. So when Jesus begins the parable in Luke 16, in verse 1, he begins by talking about this rich landowner who in the parable is is a picture of God and that each one of us are like the managers in God's estate that one day God will call each one of us to a day of reckoning, a day of accounting. Notice in chapter 16, continue with me, what happens? We see that first there's a proper attitude toward God in that he is creator and provider of all things. But secondly, notice the other deep truth that Jesus wants his disciples to understand. He wants them to have a proper attitude toward money. And in order to do that, he's going to give them this parable. Notice how Jesus illustrates it beginning in verse 2. The master, after hearing that this guy was wasting his possessions, he called him into the office. He says, notice in verse 2, he called to him and said, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. I mean, we don't have to imagine what's happening here. I mean, we can just open up the newspaper and look at a local headline and a tabloid and see CFO embezzles X amount of dollars from large corporation using company funds. I mean, it's happening. It's, It's been happening. And even in Jesus' day, it was happening. But the owner does something unique. He's basically telling the guy what's happening. He's what? He's fired. But did he fire him right on the spot? No, he he asked him to go give an account of your management. Now, some of us, we'd think, man, that's a really foolish thing to do. Uh, Because, I mean, if you get fired at your job, probably there's the box and there's the door and out you go, right? But this guy is, get this, he's allowing this manager to stay in the business for a little bit of length of time so that the the owner even has an idea of of his estate and his management. So notice he's calling, he's wanting an account of this guy's management. For you 
can no longer be manager. So notice in verse 3, the guy begins to think. And he says to himself, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? The guy's whole life was wrapped up in this job. His house, his job, his income, his livelihood, everything he had was wrapped up in being an estate manager. And very soon, he's going to be without a job. And everybody in this honor-shame society is going to realize that this guy was incompetent. He wasn't a good manager at all. He messed it up. And he's thinking to himself, do you see him? Do you see? I, mean, I love verse three and four. I feel like we can actually feel what this guy is saying. He says, what shall I do since my master is taking away the management from me? I, I love verse three. I don't think these are honest assessments by any means. I mean, he's a white collar worker to its finest. I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I mean, you see that there? He's like, that's below me. I'm an estate manager. I should have to be able to do something better. So notice what he says in verse 4. So I've decided, it's like, it's like a light bulb goes off in the guy's head. It's the eureka moment, you know, verse 4. I've decided what to do, that when I am removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. And you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, how is this guy going to get people to receive them into their homes after he's been completely incompetent with this large estate? And yet he's thinking that people are going to receive him, welcome him into their houses. So what, did he, what was his plan? What does he decide to do? Discount all debts. Uh, he, he takes the next couple weeks. He's going into all of these different accounting deals of, of the things that his, his owner had, had had possession of. And he's dealing with all of these middlemen. And I mean, he's pretty shrewd, isn't he? He's going around cutting these debts, one 50%, another at 20%. Notice how he does it in verse 5. So summoning the master's debtors one by one. Here he goes. He's going through a process. And we're not told how many, but he's doing it with every single one. And I love in verse 5, I mean, the irony and the incompetence of this guy's mismanagement, he doesn't even know how much the people owed the master. You see what he says there? How much do you owe? It's not like, hey, you owe this. He's like, I'm not really sure here. Can you tell me how much you owe? And what do they say? Verse 6. So notice one example. One of the people owed him 100 measures of oil. I mean, this was expensive stuff. Notice what he does. He says, hey, quickly, quickly, come on, come on. Take your bill, take it out. It's not 100, 50% discount right here today. We're giving you a 50% discount. Oh man, the guy doesn't even want to ask questions of how good it is. He's just sign on the dotted line, you know? He's the pushy salesman. You know, there's something conny about that. If a guy's just trying to sell you a little too hard, there's probably this sense that something isn't quite right. But the guy's not going to ask any questions because for him, he's getting how much of a discount? Someone tell me. 50%. I mean, this sounds pretty great. Let's, let's cut it in half. I'll sign that. That's what you say. I Okay. He goes to the next one, verse 7. Calls in another one. How much did that guy owe? 100 measures of wheat. Hey, hey, quickly, take out your bill. Write down, not 100, but how much now? 80. See what he's doing? He's giving a 20% discount. I mean, this guy is about as crooked of a manager as you can imagine. 
He's taking the owner's estate. He's knocking down all of these discounts. He's slashing debts. And as he's doing it, he's making friends. I mean, you read this story, and everybody in the story is just twisted. It's like, if, if I had to label chapter 16 in my Bible, it would be the motto of Survivor. To outwit, outplay, outlast. That's exactly what's happening in this passage. This guy is trying to outplay, outwit, outlast, so that he can secure his future. Because notice what's happening. Everybody get what's happening? By reducing the debts that people owed the owner, he was now, they were indebting themselves to him. How shrewd is that? I mean, that's pretty shrewd. He's securing the obligation of, his, of all of these people to himself, you know, so, so, so that when he's out of a job, and he will be out of a job, right? So that when he's out of the job, he'll go back and knock on the door of the guy that cut it by 50. Hey, hey, you remember me? Oh, yeah, yeah, you, aren't you the estate manager of the guy I owed 100 and you gave me that 50% discount? Yeah, by the way, you, you remember me? I'm going to need to live with you for a few months here. What? Yeah, things didn't work out, but I'm going to need to... And then, and then if they didn't, blackmail time, right? Because I'm going to go around to all these other people and say how dishonest you were in the deal that I gave you. This was his... I mean, this guy is twisted. He is an unjust manager. And, and, and it's at the end of verse 7 where all of us are hearing Jesus tell this story and you're the disciples and you're thinking, ooh, he's going to get it. I mean, his head's going to go flying. This guy's going to find out. The owner, the manager of the whole estate's going to find out what he's doing. I mean, it's going to be bad. You know, like, is this a picture of hell? I mean, we're just thinking of like, where, where can the story go, right? But then notice what Jesus says, the shock and the awe in verse 8. Notice verse 8. The master did what? Say it louder. He did what? He commended him. Bravo. I mean, he's commending this guy. He's praising the guy. He's not praising him for his dishonesty. He's praising him in the middle of verse 8 for his what? For his shrewdness. For his shrewdness. And then Jesus makes this statement. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus is simply making an observation. He's saying, this is the way the world works. In our society, everything is cutthroat. Everybody is out for their own selfish interest. Everybody is trying to secure for themselves what they believe is the best future. And they're going to do that at whatsoever cost. But Jesus commends the guy for his shrewdness. He says that the generation, the sons of this world, this, this world system is more shrewd than God's people are. Do you see the comparison of what Jesus is doing? He's arguing from a lesser to a greater. 
He's, he's arguing that, 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 that if this world system is going to be so shrewd in how they're dealing with things to secure their future, then Jesus is saying, well, wait a minute. Uh, let me show you something far more shrewd, right? I mean, because what is he saying in all this? What is Jesus saying? He's, he's, he's making the assessment that this world system works incredibly hard. People work hard, not just 40 hours a week, some 80 hours a week. And they're working so incredibly hard to secure for them a future that will last, but maybe 80 years. And then it's over. Jesus is like, you think that's shrewd? Let me show you something shrewd. Jesus is going to unpack what it looks like to be a son of light in his kingdom. And with shrewdness, we're investing not in something that's going to last 80 years. But we're going to be so shrewd in our investments of how we invest in eternity. Notice what he says in verse 9. Verse 9 is a, a challenging verse, but put on your thinking cap. Let's work it through together. Jesus says, and I tell you, Jesus says, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. Now, some of you are right there and you're like, I mean, if you were the disciple, you'd probably be like, hold on, Jesus. Didn't we just have a sermon on the Sermon of the Mount? And now you're talking about using this unrighteous wealth and how is all this compute? Wait, what? what is he saying? Make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it, say the next word out loud. Say it louder, so that when it what? Fails, they, that is the friends you've made, may receive you into eternal dwellings. You see what Jesus is saying in verse 9? It's so profound. Jesus is saying this world system with how temporal and short would be so shrewd to work and scheme and connive to invest Enough money to secure the temporal future of their own life. But he's telling his disciples, how much more should it be with you in the kingdom of God? That this unrighteous wealth, when he says unrighteous wealth, he's not talking about you, you got money illegally through illegal means. Jesus is referencing the world system. He's saying that this world system of unrighteous wealth will what? What did he say it will do? It will fail. It, it, it not might fail. It will fail. I told you the other day, I was talking to my granddad, and he was talking to me about just his retirement account and all these things. He says, Aaron, I thought I had a nest egg, and I found out I have a, a rotten egg. You know? Some of you haven't looked at your 401k because you're a little too scared to see the rotten egg, right? But it will fail. Now, Jesus isn't talking about not investing, not dealing with our money in the right way. He's not dealing with any of that in this passage. He's dealing with how we deal with our resources for the kingdom of God. And he is saying, notice what? So use this unrighteous wealth. Use your income, your opportunities, your investments to what? To make friends. Go back to verse 9, please. To make friends that will receive you where? In heaven. Jesus is saying, buy friends for heaven. That's what he's saying. How? How can I buy a friend 
for heaven by how you steward what he's given you, by how you steward all that you've been entrusted with. Invest, Jesus is saying, in those who preach the gospel. Jesus is saying, invest in missionaries and global workers and invest in the church of Jesus Christ that is equipping saints for the work of ministry. Jesus is saying, invest in every gospel opportunity. Invest in the poor and the needy. Invest in widows. Invest in, 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 in people that are in true need. So that why? So that, so that you might be a shrewd investor. And you're using all of your resources for the glory of God and the eternal good of others. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys nor thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is saying, use this unrighteous wealth in this kingdom, this world's kingdom, so that you may invest it in an eternal kingdom. So that at the end of our life, when you draw your last breath on this earth, and all the things that you've accumulated for yourselves will be left here. Jesus says on that day, there'll be somebody standing on the edge of heaven welcoming you. You get the picture. I mean, it's not just thinking about our life in, in X amount of years. It's thinking about our life in reference to eternity. We've bought into so much of the lies in our culture, of the hedonism of our culture that says that life exists for the moment. Life is for the here and now. Do something for today because you're not promised tomorrow. That's not what the Bible teaches. You are promised tomorrow. Where will your tomorrow be spent? And who would you, would you want to invest in enough to secure your own temporal future? Or would you rather not invest in the gospel works of what Jesus is describing? Would you rather not invest in gospel opportunities so that there will be a friend, Jesus says, who will welcome you in eternity forever? And all of us right now, I mean, we're just, you know, we're thinking about this and we're thinking about our, 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 our budgets. We're thinking about our house, our car. We're thinking about what we do. And like the natural response is what all of us are thinking. It's like, well, if I had more, I'd give more, right? If I had it, I'd give it. Sadly, you know, the truth to that is, no, no, you wouldn't. How can you say that, Pastor? Look what Jesus says in verse 10. Uh, Jesus, notice here, notice he, 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 he knows us so well. And he understands that instantly when we start thinking about eternity, we're going to come up with all the excuses or objections of why we can't make that kind of an investment. It just doesn't seem right, right? But Jesus wants to change their attitude, not only about how they view God, but secondly, how they view money. But thirdly, now verses 10 through 13, Jesus wants to challenge his disciples on their attitude toward being a steward. He says, because the one who is faithful in a very what? Little 
is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in what? Much. So it's not about how much you have or how much you think you can give. It's about your attitude behind what you own. Jesus says in verse 11, if you've been faithful in unrighteous wealth, he's talking about this world system, then who, meaning God, will entrust to you the true riches? If you've not been faithful in these things, then how are you going to understand that? He argues from the lesser to the greater. Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, then who will give you that which is your own? You get the point? Jesus is teaching us in this passage that all that we own is not ours. It's been given to us. It's been entrusted to it. Some of you are just bristling at that right now, and you're like, "Uh uh-uh, I worked hard for my money. Well, you might have worked hard and saved hard, but who gave you the ability to do that? He can take it away in a minute. Everything you have, the life that you've been given, it's been entrusted to you. It's a privilege to steward the wealth and the resources that God gives us. And we're a a steward, we're an estate manager for just a brief amount of time. Because one day there's going to be an accounting. One day the master is going to call you and summon you to give an accounting of all your investments. Your family, your children, the income that God blessed you with, the job that you had, the place where you lived. And all of us have to take great care to have wisdom in our stewardship because one day, notice he says, no one can serve two masters. You can't get pulled in between the two. One requires your ultimate love and devotion. Someone has put it this way, if we pursued the kingdom of God with the same vigor that the children of this world pursue pleasure, we would live in an entirely different world. But God wants our single-minded devotion. He wants our faithfulness to him. Let me leave you this morning with what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, beginning in verse 7, just let this hit you. It's not overhead. Just let this hit you. Let the word of God hit you this morning and wash over you in the truth of all these things. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, many senseless and harmful desires. They plunge people into ruin and destruction. Jesus says, uh, Paul tells Timothy, for the love of money. He's not saying money. He's saying the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But it is for you, O man of God. Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you are called, about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And I charge you in the presence of God who charges, who gives life to all things, And of Christ Jesus, who is the testimony before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained 
and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, to whom no one has ever seen nor can see to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. But as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Your stewardship requires a proper attitude to God. It requires a proper attitude toward money and the resources he has given you. But ultimately, it requires a proper attitude of what it means to even be a steward. And so this morning as we close, I just have one question for you, and that is this. The key to a steward is that he is loyal, that he is faithful, that he is trustworthy. So the fitting question for all of us this morning is, what kind of a steward are you? What kind of a steward am I? And let's pray that God would help us to not look at what is temporal, but to look at what is eternal. That we would be the kind of people that Paul challenges Timothy with there. That we would be individuals that are are, are rich in good works. We are generous. We are ready to share. Because we're storing up something that is eternal. There will be people one day in heaven that will welcome us in because of the investment that you made. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, for the truth of it. God, really, as we look at a passage like this, we're all thinking about our own life. We're thinking about our our investments, our family, our friendships. We're thinking about, Lord, the needs. and, and, And Lord, in all of it this morning, what you require is faithfulness. I pray that, Lord, we would have the right attitude toward money. Because, Lord, what you're teaching us in this passage this morning is that someone can have a whole lot and not love it at all, but someone could have very little and love it a whole lot. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful in our stewardship. Lord, help us to be faithful faithful in our life, that we think about our life, not just in these few short years that you have blessed us with on this earth, but Lord, that we would look toward heaven and eternity of how we're stewarding all that you've given us. We pray that we'd be found faithful, Lord. We pray that we wouldn't be like this unjust manager, Lord, in his dishonesty, but we would be like him in his shrewdness. And so, Lord, in all of these things, we ask for your help. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? There's a number of people this morning that have filled out a prayer card asking for us as a church to pray for them. We're going to do that this morning.
you bow your heads with me this morning in prayer? If you'd like to come and pray for one of these individuals that's requested prayer, there's three of them. Would you come this morning and pray? Hold up somebody in our church this morning who's asking for someone else to intercede on their behalf to God. Come pray for someone this morning. And in the quietness of your own place there, would you consider your own life before God? And your stewardship. And if God were to call you today to give an accounting, how would you answer it? What are are the things today, right now, as you think about that question you have regret over? And by God's grace, today would be a new opportunity. God would give you fresh grace today to make some changes in how you've dealt with something or how you're responding to something or how you're valuing something. And and that by God's grace, today would be an opportunity to see some changes so that when you do draw your final breath on this earth, you're not doing it with a life of regret. The motivation of our heart should be one of joy, one of thankfulness, gratefulness. All the things God's richly blessed you with, your house, your family, your income, your car, all of it, that it might, it's not yours, it's his. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for all that you have richly blessed us with. Lord, help us to be wise stewards in all that we've been given. Always thinking with the end in mind that there is a day of an accounting. And Lord, most importantly, we want to hear those words, well done. Well done. In Jesus' name we pray this. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Tell you this humorous story and then I'll leave you today. A number of months before Dr. Mason passed away, he had a tree fall in his yard. It had been there a while. I remember talking to him on the phone. He says, hey, Aaron, I got this tree down. I've been praying about it a lot and I've been telling the Lord he has a tree down in his yard. He needs to do something about it. And I just remember thinking, what a fitting way to think about our life, our resources, that what I own is not mine, it's his. My home, my car, my family, my income, it's all God's. And so let's be a good steward of all he's given us. Now, if you're not here the next four weeks, I'll know why, all right? (laughs) But I do hope you'll come back. We're going to look at our stewardship of our life, stewardship of, of our time, stewardship of the gospel. So let's lift up our voice this morning. We'll sing out in a uh, doxology, an anthem of praise to the Lord, all he's done.
Hope to see you tonight. You're leaving at 4.30. If you have questions about it, you can see Dylan. Let's lift up our voice and praise to the Lord for who he is.